Hello, welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And this episode, we are joining in on the Axe of Vengeance crossover that several podcasts are doing. And with me experiencing some vengeance is Brian. Hi, Brian. What's up? Not much. Feels a little bit like I've got a green and purple tennis ball pinging around in my skull. I can't imagine why that would be. Oh, I have no idea why. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so we are doing the Silver Surfer 33, which is a sort of Axe of Vengeance crossover. Sort of. We're, We're stretching the concept extremely thin here. It has the little, if you look at the cover, it has a little triangle thing on there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It has the, the trade dress, as they call it inside the industry. Yes, I mean, it says acts of idiocy, not acts of vengeance. But, but it's the same yeah. font. Yeah. So you could be forgiven for being, for falling for it and buying this issue, thinking it was a part of the acts of vengeance crossover, when in fact it turns out to be only tangentially related in the vaguest possible way. And then you feel all betrayed. And then you go back to the drugstore and you ask for your 25 cents back. Nah, it was like a buck at this point, wasn't it? Man, yeah, it was like I, 89. Yeah, yeah. I, I sort of, I, I, I was, I was, I had a really good rant going there and then I screwed it up right at the end. I couldn't stick the landing. <laughs> but yeah, so we are not the only ones doing Acts of Vengeance. There are several other podcasts doing all the other Acts of Vengeance issues, or at least most of them. Uh, so hold on. We are going to do a promo for that one to just, so you know, what to look for. And then we'll be right back with more, well, idiocy. <laughs> There was an idea. To bring together a group of remarkable people. To see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could make the podcasts. That they never could. like to cross over, to feel so desperately that the comic is right, yet to fail all the same. Dread it. Run from it. March 2021 still arrives. Evacuate the network. Engage all defenses. And get this man a cold Mountain Dew. Ooh, cold Mountain Dew. I haven't tried one of those. Nah, nah, nah. Make it warm. Thank you. Sun isn't something one considers when podcasting an event. But this... Does put a smile on my face. you guys the merry marvel marching society we don't know where we're going but we're on the way a podcasting crossover mega event in the spirit of jl may coming in march 2021 covering marvel's fall crossover event of vengeance. A cabal of evil threatens the Avengers and the entire Marvel Universe. Doctor Doom, the Red Skull, Kingpin, Doctor Doom, Magneto, the Wizard, Doctor Doom, the Mandarin, and Doctor Doom have banded together to pit Earth's mightiest heroes against foes they have never faced before. 
An array of heroes face enemies they are totally unfamiliar with. But who is secretly pulling the vengeful cabal strings? And can the Avengers take down the true mastermind before his hidden scheme succeeds? Featuring podcasts from Third Degree Burn, Back to the Bins, Avenger Spotlight, Coffee and Comics, Comic Book Time Machine, Doom Speak, Fan Holes Podcast, Fire and Water Podcast Network, Head Speaks, Into the Weird, Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast, Longbox Crusade, Married with Comics, The Quantum Cast, Resurrections, an Adam Warlock podcast, Rolled Spine podcasts, and Views from the Longbox. Marching its way to your favorite podcatchers and hosting sites in 2021. Act of Vengeance, a true story. And we're back. So, yes. So, like we said before, this is Silver Surfer number 33. And on the cover, we have, well, like it says there on the trade dress, Acts of Idiocy. And we have the Impossible Man is in this issue because technically the Silver Surfer has never met him. So he sort of counts as a villain he has not fought before. And that was the entire that was the entire um, premise premise of Acts of Vengeance, right? Exactly. It was uh, the person who's a mysterious person who gathered several of the major villains uh, together as like a little council and suggested that they, instead of having people fight, the villains fight the same heroes they always fought because of their, you know, need for vengeance and stuff, switch so they could fight other people who aren't used to them. That's uh, that's interesting. I'm intrigued enough to look into it. I never actually read the Acts of Vengeance. The first time, like the first flush of my comics fandom petered not not petered out per se but i'd stopped reading a lot of the titles like that got me into comics like i started like when i when i first started i was reading fantastic four during the burn years and i was reading amazing spider-man and all the spider-man titles and the thing is you know i drifted away from the spider-man titles burn left fantastic four and then so did i um, so I think at the time that this was going on, at the time that the Acts of Vengeance crossover was going on, the only comic I was actively reading at that time, I believe, was X-Men. Uncanny X-Men. And you would have read at least their crossover, which is right. a weird version of it, because it, techn- it sort of was, but it wasn't like they were pl- going after the X-Men. Yeah, I don't even remember which the, issue it would, because I remember reading something with the Acts of Vengeance thing on the cover, but not like getting any sense of what the Acts of Vengeance thing was all about from the issue actually reading it. I do remember that much. It was X-Men, Uncanny X-Men 256 to 258, I think, was yeah, those three. It's mm-hmm. the ones with the Mandarin when uh, they do the ch- big change to Psylocke, and she goes from the oh. British version to the uh, Chinese version interesting and okay and that was the man okay i i mean i do remember reading that and i remember getting okay well first of all i was very very upset with that when it happened like i think that was like that was a nail in the coffin that eventually led to me not reading x-men anymore and as it turned out not reading comics at all for a good six or seven years uh thereafter but i do remember like i was still reading x-men at that at, for those issues so interesting yeah interesting I that those are the issues of the crossover yeah i wasn't really reading too i was still just starting in my in going through marvel or comics actually since i started with marvel mm-hmm. so i was reading power pack which is where i started with so power pack 53 they fight typhoid mary hmm which is weird a uh, daredevil villain yeah x-men obviously was the whole thing with psylocke and the mandarin uh, and the hand, of course. So mm-hmm. it still was very X Men like. Well, the hand uh, was a daredevil, like sort of a daredevil thing, though. Well, I mean, I know Wolverine. We got too. the Wolverine thing, yeah. yeah. I remember the team at this point was basically just Wolverine, Psylocke, and Jubilee. So right, because they that was after they'd all gone through the Siege Perilous, and they were exactly. all scattered, and Rogue was in the Savage Land, and Lord only knows what had happened to Dazzler and Forge and all them. 
Yeah. So, I mean, really, that was the team. So the hand being there really wasn't too weird because it was Wolverine was one third of the team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So having the hand there wasn't too weird for that. Right. Um, but yeah, so I, I know it mostly was in the Avengers books, but I wasn't really reading them yet. The Spider-Man books was doing the cosmic powered Spider-Man thing. I did. I did know that because I haven't read them yet, but I have seen the covers of those particular issues and seen the acts of vengeance uh, dress on them. So, again, didn't didn't lend any clarity whatsoever to what acts of vengeance was all about to me being clueless at the time. But I, I had remembered seeing that those cosmic Spider-Man, uh, the cosmic adventures issues of Spider-Man were were part of that. Um, I know the new, the new mutants that was in the middle of the storyline where the new mutants were in Asgard. Hmm, but that was that one? uh no because that would have been that would have been in the Louise Simonson years. Yes. Well actually sorry, I, were, it was at the very end of them at that because it's like New Mutants eighty six. It's Rusty and Skids because they were the ones left on Earth, they fight the vulture. I think I was re I I was still reading them at the time because I think I got an I had a letter, uh a a, a bitch fest of a letter uh published in one of those uh issues in one of those late eighties, early nineties, late numbered numbered late 80s early 90s I'll uh, that later. issues but yeah so i was still reading them at that time but i've success but i've put a lot of it out of my head because i realized belatedly that i did not really enjoy the new mutants after claremont left yeah just something well, essential left with him and i was reading it at that point from inertia understood but yeah this was the issue before cable shows up Hmm. I know it was a Liefeld cover. I forget if he did the interior already or if he didn't do the interior until cable, until 87 with Cable. Gotcha. Gotcha. And X-Factor was just finishing up that storyline they did, which ended because it was X-Factor 50. That, the X-Factor story where they're on that other planet. I had but, stopped reading. I had stopped reading X-Factor around Inferno. So um, yeah, I missed was, that one. I, I yeah. must have missed that one. Yeah, this uh, the crossover was like a backup story. It was like Apocalypse talking to the mysterious person who was responsible for it. Gotcha. And yeah. then all the other ones, which I really wasn't reading yet, so I, I don't think I've ever read most of those, actually. So, well, now we know what Acts of Vengeance kind of is, um, but this is not. This Silver Surfer number 33 is Acts of Idiocy, and frankly, I wouldn't have minded seeing a couple more Acts of Idiocy issues. Um, this was fun. Well, from what I understand... The Fantastic Four issues. Oh. Because it was, this was Simonson drawn on four. I mean, on, oh. on Fantastic Four. And I believe the whole premise was he was like, well, they fought pretty much everybody. So he picked up, he picked like all the lamest villains. And it was basically just them just, I think they were, they were doing some kind of congressional hearings for some reason. Maybe revolving, you know, one of those registration acts that they were coming mm-hmm. up a lot in the 80s. Like mm-hmm. the new registration act. And I think they just kept being attacked, but these guys were so lame, they just kind of kept beating them very, very quickly. Ah, I have to look into that one, too. That sounds that that has piqued my interest as well. Yeah, because I think like the cover is like, you know, the Fantastic Four against the worst villains of the Marvel Universe. And they're all the villains are just knocked out on the ground. And the Fantastic Four are standing there and the things like you're kidding, right? <laughs> or something along those lines. Ah, uh, Walt. He, I, I've, I've been, I've been meaning to look at the Walt Simonson uh, Fantastic Four run for a while. What I've read of it, I enjoyed. Hmm. But anyway, that's not those. Like we said, this is Silver Surfer. Basically, this is just a way to get Silver Surfer sort of involved in it, since he's nowhere near Earth. So it's not like they could have sent the Scorpion after him or something. Right. So, um, so, and he's fighting the Impossible Man, and I, I have a soft spot in my heart for the Impossible Man because yeah. my first exposure to him was uh the wonderful new mutants annual number two yes was it number two or number three i can't remember i think it might have been three i think it might have been three because i think number two was the one with uh mojo and where betsy uh braddock comes to the x-men world uh full time yes it is Okay, so then it was X Men New Mutants Annual number three, drawn by Alan Davis. Ah, mm-hmm. Alan Davis, and uh, written by Claremont, and it was just thoroughly. It it tickled every single one of my fancies all the way through. Um, loved it, read it a billion times. Might actually go back after we're done recording this episode and read it again. Dig it out and read it again. That was a fun one. 
That was a wonderful, wonderful issue. So because of that, I have a soft spot in my heart for the Impossible Man. And we even get a shout out to that annual. No, the X-Men one. He oh, was really? also in an X-Men annual. Well, no, no, no. We get a, well, it's a visual shout out. Well, well, we'll get to that when we get to that. We'll get to that when we get to that. So, but here the, uh, the, uh, the Impossible Man is wearing uh, ridiculously large boxing gloves. Um, yes made even more ridiculous i mean they're ridiculously large by any measure they're made even more ridiculously large by the spindliness of his arms so right off the bat you know you are in for i'm, I'm getting real dan slot she hulk vibes yeah off of this cover if you get my drift i can see that and i like the way the solar surface just kind of has that shrug of like eh, yeah what are you gonna like, do like 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 why am i here what, what am i doing here exactly and I just want to draw one last uh, observation regarding the cover here, mm-hmm. um, because uh, of late, uh, just uh, side note, digression, <laughs> I've been doing a, a little a manga translation, scanlation type project uh, of my own. There's a manga I wanted to read. It was not available in English. And rather than just translate it, I decided I would jump in and do the whole, like, uh scanning and retouching and putting in my and like replacing the dialogue with english like in the graphics and then maybe when that's all said and done i'll actually uh share it with the internet somehow we shall see cool um well but the reason i bring this up is because it's been very very education it's been a real uh crash course in things like layout and placement of lettering and font selection and things like that and so now having some sense of that and having some experience of that and having a, a mental toolbox by which to judge such things, I look at the cover of Silver Surfer number three and at the bottom of the cover it says, and in this corner, the Impossible Man. And the Impossible Man has a kind of a logo-y presentation of the name there. The word the, however, in that box is so small. And yes. I guess it works but my first thought upon looking at that was, oh, my God, how small could did they think they could get away with making that word? I would never have tried to make a word that small. I would have like just assumed it would be illegible, and I would have found some other way to do it. They decided to go this way. God bless them. I guess it works. But my first like I was coming at it like, you know, like from a from a from a from a quote unquote professional standpoint, not not really professional. But my point is, having kind of done some of this now myself for the last few weeks, I came right at that. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's so small. What are they thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess they figured, hey, why not? If you're going to do it anywhere, do it on this issue. Right. Well, and, you know, the cojones on these people. So anyway, that's the cover. It's fun. Yes. Silver Surfer number 33. And in this corner, The Impossible Man. Writer, Jim Valentino. Pencils, Ron Lim. Inks, Tom Christopher. Colors, Tom Vincent. Letters by Ken Brusniak. Cover art, Ron Lim, Jim Valentino, and Joe Rubenstein. Cover dated January 1990. On sale date, November 21st, 1989 with a cover price of $1. You can find this reprinted in Nova number 155, which was a 1990 French reprint, and Super Ventures Marvel number 123, which was a 1992 Brazilian reprint. Norn Rad, the Silver Surfer, is flying through space, considering its beauty and majesty. When something rams into him with a huge whap, looking around, he can't see what it is, and is about to continue on his way until he sees his board floating nearby. Confused as to what he is actually standing on, he looks down and sees a green surfboard-shaped thing with a face and a big smile. It is the Impossible Man. After finding out they have both been to Earth before, the Impossible Man decides that they are now best friends and starts to inundate the surfer with questions, all while constantly changing shape. Interrupting the surfer's request to be left alone is a huge armada of spaceships, demanding the surrender of the Impossible Man. Turns out there may have been a slight misunderstanding involving their queen. After some impossible begging, the surfer agrees to mediate. He speaks to the captain, Galactu, of the planet Ergonar, who informs him that the impossible man is to be executed. Since the surfer cannot stand for that, the captain has no choice but to attack. An attack which does nothing but annoy the surfer further. He begins to disarm the armada, but then the impossible man decides to... 
help, forcing the surfer to move him before he can finish. Having disarmed the entire fleet, the captain has no choice but to surrender in shame and dishonor that will follow his family for generations. Feeling generous, the surfer vows to follow them back to personally apologize to the queen and give his word that the impossible man will never go there again, right? Of course, all of this is lost on the impossible man, who found the whole thing exciting. Frustrated, the surfer leaves in disgust. The impossible man does not care until he is facing down the barrel of the gun held by Captain Galactu. The impossible man is completely freaked out, until Galactu reveals himself to be the surfer, playing a practical joke on the impossible man to show him how hurtful they can be. Feeling he has made some headway in maturing him, the surfer leaves, not realizing that the impossible man had his fingers crossed behind his back. Hey, Gene, we should do a podcast. Sounds like a great idea, Jeff. but what will we talk about? How about a superhero that we both love? Perfect. Some like Thor or Captain America? Uh, both great choices, but um, I think they're being covered by somebody else already. Wait, I've got it. What about the protector of the universe? Like Voltron? No, no, no. The guy with the jewelry that lets him create whatever he wants. Ah, Green Lantern, nice. Close. No, this guy has cosmic awareness. Captain Marvel? Almost. I mean, Quasar. Ah, Quasar. Who doesn't love a good Quasar? Tune in to the Quantum Cast, covering all things Quasar. Yes, that's right. You can find us at quantumbands.blogspot.com. And on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Yeah, that, that didn't sound scripted at all, did it? So I like how they start this out with the surfer doing his stereotypical musings about the cosmos. Oh, my God. I've always thought the Silver Surfer was kind of emo, and here he is big-time emo. And, of course, I'm reading this issue with an eye towards doing it, uh, a podcast episode with you. So my first thought upon reading this page one as he's doing the emo musings is, Man, him and Warlock should get together and just have mope parties. <laughs> like, that would be a time, wouldn't it? <laughs> so depressing. Yeah, oh my god. Like, yeah, get the two of them and then Marvin the Paranoid Android from the Checker's Guide to the Galaxy. Now nah, that's a party. Yeah. That's a party waiting to happen right there. Oh god, it's the worst party ever. Don't invite <laughs> me. <laughs> Three emo jackwads. But uh, no, I mean, I don't I, I don't know much about this period of the Silver Surfer. But yeah, no, I'm glad they started it like this because he what comes next. He's kind of has coming given this. Yeah. But it is, it is it is almost comedic in its own right. The mopey. Well, because he's so preoccupied with his musings. Yes. That he doesn't even notice something's going to fly right into him. And thankfully, they don't spend too much time with this emo surfer. We get one page of it and that's right. It. He is humbled by the power it takes to ignite a star in the peaceful serenity of a nebula. (laughs) (laughs) And whap, something hits into him that has an arm and a leg. I wonder what that could be. Uh, It looks a little bit like Mr. Mixelpidalic. Well, that kind of works. Purple glove, purple boots. I'm thinking it's my first guess is Mr. Mixelpidalic. Just forget everything I saw on the cover. I'm going with Mr. Mixelpidalic. Well, it kind of works as one thing John Byrne did, one issue of Superman, where he kind of implied that Mr. Mid- Mis- yeah, Mr. Mixapitalic is the impossible man when he travels to another universe. I could really get behind that, and um, that is awesome. That is awesome right there. But I, I also love that they use the sound effect whap here, because it's undignified. It is unstentorian. It's it's just it's whap. It's the sound of a custard pie hitting you in the face. Yeah. And it's so appropriate for this. And I have to go back and check the previous issues because I know Steve Eaglehart had a pretty decent run in the first part of Silver Surfer. And mm-hmm. Jim Starlin's gonna take over next issue as writer. But this issue we have Jim Valentino. Mm-hmm. And I I'm wondering if he's just filling in for this one issue. Possibly. Um, I'm not sure of the contemporaneous environment in Marvel Comics. I know that in the early 90s, and um, this is this is is this 89 or 90, this issue? Oh, it's 89. Okay. So I don't know if he was yet writing uh, his his long ass run on Guardians of the Galaxy. No, not yet. Not just it should be coming up soon, though, because one other thing about Acts of Vengeance, it is the first appearance of the new warriors in the Thor issues. 
Ah. And then shortly after, they'll get their own series as part of the Heroes for the 90s. And I am pretty damn sure that Guardians of the Galaxy was one of those books. Okay. Okay. I could see that. I could see that. So So we get the title, Nothing is Impossible, comma, Man, which I love. Nothing to do with the story per se. It's just a fun little play on the presence of the dude in the issue. Yeah, and it kind of gives you an idea of where this story is going to go. Yes, yes. As the as does the credits. Um, we need oh, to yeah, remark having... on the credits. I am willing to place money. I am willing to place money. Okay, so just to give people the um, context here. The credits read, Jim Valentino wrote it without a care. Ron Lim, artist extraordinaire. Tom Christopher, inker beyond compare. Ken Brusenak lettered it in his lair. Tom Vincent, colorist with flair. Craig Anderson edited it, edited it in his underwear. Tom DeFalco, all he could do was stare. And <laughs> I'm willing to bet cash money that they started... Like that started with Craig Anderson edited hit in his underwear and they worked outwards from there. (laughs) I'm pretty sure like that was, that was the kernel and they had to make that fit somehow. So they like came up with a way to, to, to couch it in there. Uh, I'm willing, I'm willing to gamble on that one. I always wonder when they do these fun things at the credit boxes, who is responsible for that? Is that the writer, the letterer or the editor? You know, I think it's, I would say, my guess would be first editor, then letterer, I mean, then writer, then letterer, but um, not really being privy to the process of how these, uh, of the, the to, to the specifics of the creative process at this point, I don't want to go on record with a guess on that one, but yeah, yeah. that's a good question. Who, who actually, you know, who generated that joke, basically? Yeah, who does these things? Yeah. But anyway. So we get to the surfer, gets back on his board, tries to figure out what that was that hit him, and then looks over and, why is my board over there? Mm-hmm. What am I standing on? And he looks down, and he's getting leered at by a surfboard that he's standing on. Yeah. Greetings, alien. I come in peace. <laughs> You're not my board. No sorry, Bob. I'm the impossible man. And thus begins the endless series of... Yep. As he changes, and he will be changing pretty much every panel. And Which is, Ron Lim takes advantage of the fact that he could draw pretty much anything. Yeah, and no, does. and that's the thing. That's the thing. I've never been a huge, huge fan of Ron Lim's um, art, primarily because my primary exposure to him was as a fill-in for artists I liked better. Like he would do fill-in episodes uh, of fill-in issues of Excalibur back when Alan Davis was the regular author artist. Oh yes, that's right. And it's like I want to see Alan Davis art, and instead I'm getting Ron Lim art, and that will predispose you to see the art not terribly favorably. Understood. So I've never, but that said, having read this issue, you know, and and the uh, and a number of others that he's uh, done, I cannot in any way. Uh, shortchange the guy on his ability, on his technical skills. Yeah, and see, I'm used to him because I discovered him as the artist of the Silver Surfer. So to uh, me, that is what I think of when I think of the Silver Surfer is Ron Lim's version of him. Mm-hmm. Because that's what I think of. That's what I was first introduced to both the Surfer and Ron Lim. Now, right now, right now, the primary Silver Surfers in my head are um, John Buscema's. Uh, extraordinarily emo Silver Surfer from the uh, original Stan Lee penned uh, Silver Surfer series of the early 70s. Mm-hmm. And the Mike Allred Silver Surfer of the recent Dan Slott uh, series. That was very, very good. Yeah, I was paying attention by way in here to see if he ever calls it to me, but he doesn't. Ah, sadly. <laughs> there, sadly yeah, there's that was no to be happening in this issue at all. <laughs> a later joke, sadly. Um, but, uh, I like the, when the, when the silver surfer says I've been to earth and he decides to illustrate this by into a, uh, a, a, a balloon earth. It's a balloon. It's got like the, 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 the little tie and the string at the bottom. Like yeah. that's kind of fantastic. And once the possible man learns he's been to earth too, he's like, we're best friends. We both have this in common and pops himself into the adorable little puppy dog with the hugest eyes. Yes. Yes. Oh, and I also dig on the, um, Ooh, that sounds real ominous. The Silver Surfer. I like that. It has a nice ring to it. 
and he pops into a version of the Silver Surfer himself that's incredibly toothy, and I am kind of disturbed by it. It is quite disturbing. <laughs> it's better it's when like he turns into a the Joker version kid. of the Surfer. Yes, it is. It's better when he turns into a kid when the Surfer asks him, like, do you have another name besides Impossible Man? He's like, no, we know who we are. Yeah. <laughs> do you have another name besides the Silver Surfer? Of course I do. He's like, what's that? Norin Rad. Ooh, did people call you Nori? <laughs> we did not. Uh, this, now, this is a good one. This is a good one. And this is the kind of writing I always dug on. Because he goes, no, we did not use nicknames on my world. <laughs> to which the uh, Impossible Man replies, sounds like a dull place. Where'd you come from? Cleveland? Accompanied by him turning into Howard the Duck. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, that right there. That's like layers within layers as far as I'm concerned. I like it. Oh, yeah. No, the puzzle man, every, every like trick word triggers something and makes him change. When the server server says, please stop changing. Only if you say the magic word. I know no magic words. I am not a magician. magician. And pop. He is Dr. Strange. Yes. And, and then he's. And then he says, oh, that's good. Can I use it in my routine? And he turns into Sam Kinison. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a dated reference, but, you know, I got it. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. I remember that. I saw the Mirror of Children of Sam Kinison. I remember that yeah. one. Yep. And, and back to school. Uh-huh. And then he, uh, and then, and then, as if to, and then in order, not as if to, to explicitly demonstrate his sense of humor, Peter Porker Spider-Ham. Come on. At which this point, is, the Silver Surfer is face-palming. He is literally, yes. He has his face in his hands. Uh, yeah. Galactus, take me, he says. Like, like, yeah, no, this is legit funny. Because I was a little worried. Not everyone can do funny. You know? No, it's not easy. But this this works. This works for me. No, Valentino is, he's pretty underrated as a writer. And yeah, I think I, it's because of people think of it because he was one of the original founders of Image. Right, and, right. Most I think I've always have... thought of him as more as an executive. I never actually thought of him. I never realized until later on that he was actually a writer. Yeah, because he wrote and drew Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. And it is probably out of the founders of Image, at least the ones who were writing and drawing their own books like for Marvel before they went to Image, mm -hmm. the strongest of both. I mean, is his artist flat? was his artist flashy at the time as uh, Liefeld's or Lee's? No. Or uh, or McFarlane's or Larson's? No, but he was a uh, probably the one, of the, probably him and I would say then Eric Larson were the best writers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. out of them. So especially and his art though is it is good. So between the two of them, you have an exceptionally good team on the book. You know, it, may, it might not be the great. You might not think it's the greatest of one or the other, but it's for one thing. I've read better than McFarlane's Spider Man book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was better writing. McFarlane was definitely not as good a writer. Well, no, no, that that goes with, that goes without saying. Um, it takes it takes a particular kind of uh, subpar writing to drive me away from Spider Man, and yet <laughs> he managed it. <laughs> and also from interviews I've read about people who like do their own writing and drawing, there's a different way to just write a book as opposed to writing and drawing the the book yourself, mm -hmm. where you can mm -hmm. kind of sketch it out and draw it as you're writing it mm -hmm. and so like for instance i don't know if larson has ever actually i mean well no he has it but i don't think at that at early at this point he was just writing like i know later on he would write books himself. he would just do some writing of books yeah savage dragon was all him wasn't it well no he writes and draws that right i'm just talking about just writing a book oh i see what you're saying yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he now larson would later do that i know he did run an aquaman he did he he wrote a few other things and just wrote them mm. and he's gotten he had some talent for writing and has got obviously gotten better at it over the years. Mm -hmm. But by this point, he was only drawing. And the first thing he would do as a writer, I believe, was taking over the uh, the writing. And draw. I think he did the spider. He wasn't he doing the Spider-Man title after McFarlane left. Um, he yeah. was. Yes. And yes. He was writing and drawing it. So, again, he's doing it that way, which is more towards his wheelhouse since he was orig original wheelhouse since he was primarily an artist. Mm -hmm. Valentino here is just writing and doing a pretty good job of it. Gotta yeah. say. So I just want to give him credit for that, that he gets a little underrated, I think because of the fact of being part of the uh, founder of image, everyone just thinks of that kind of stuff. Right. And, 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 you know, when I, when you think of image, you think of 
Jim Lee and you think of Eric Larson and you think of Todd McFarlane. Remind me, uh, that initial bunch of uh, refugees who created Image, were um, Silvestri and Portacio part of that group or did they come around like later? That Portacio was supposed to be, but there was some, I think he had some personal issues and his book came out a little later. Okay. Uh, Valentino was, he did Shadowhawk. Okay. No, but how about uh, Mark Silvestri? He Silvestri, yeah, he was initial. He did Cyberforce. Right, 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 right. And actually, I'll say real quick about Valentino's Cy- uh, Shadowhawk. Going back and looking at it years later, mm-hmm. and after having read this other book, mm-hmm. I can def I can see maybe it's just me, but I can see some influence of Matt Wagner's Grendel. Oh, like look at oh. those first issues of Shadowhawk, and then look at like the early Grendel when Wagner was still drawing it, like the Hunter Rose stuff. And it has, they both have a similar cartoony style to them. All right. All right. So at least, at least that's, that's how I, that's what I see. But back to Surfer. So he's, like we said, he says, Galactus, take me. And of course, Impossible Man turns into Galactus. Right. Galactus, hey, I know Galactus. He ate my world once. Yeah, but we showed him. He, we gave the big lug indigestion, he says, turning into a Pepto-Bismol bottle. And I like the little editor's note. Not to be confused with the cramps caused by the elders of the universe in Silver Surfer 15. <laughs> what? I what? have to go back to that now. <laughs> hmm. So then we get a uh, then we get a uh, a, a schmooper a schmooper man uh, yes. pastiche here. Super duper man. Super duper man approved by the cosmic cosmic code authority. Yeah. Then he wants to cheer the surfer up, and he turns into Obnoxio the Clown. Which is fantastic. I have to say, and again, this is a harken back to the writing. I do love this, because the, the surfer says what we're all thinking. Would you stop doing that? It's unnerving. And the Impossible Man's just like, can't. Why? Because I've got to cheer you up, you know, kick off the doldrums, make you happy. But I just like, he's like, can you not, could you stop that? Can't. <laughs> You know, if you're gonna make me happy, maybe don't turn into Obnoxio the Clown. Yeah, right. So, so I like that his next his next offering is Marilyn Monroe. We can have so much fun together. Oh, that's not right, Impossible Man. That's not right. And then we get interrupted by the alien armada that shows up, saying, "Surrender, be Impossible Man, or die." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are surrendered. And I like that the, the the surfer doesn't like even like he is not even phased by this for a beat he's like friends of yours and you can tell he is completely non like not even remotely affected by this <laughs> didn't i mention them no it must have slipped your mind Ooh, sarcasm from the surfer <laughs> the impossible man is getting on his nerves yeah because there was apparently a minor misunderstanding involving their queen <laughs> oh dear uh-huh. And then as Forbushman, he's begging for help. Forbushman, what a call! Like this is amazing. Forbushman, that takes that took cojones, guys. Although I have to say this with the please, I was kind of expecting Roger Rabbit. Yeah, it might have been in an earlier. I'm wondering if they tried to make it Roger Rabbit, and he did Papa please, and they made him change and visually the Papa please in the dialogue. Yeah, I have to wonder, because that would make more sense. But Forbishman is still amusing, because, come on, Forbishman. So, uh, Surfer decides to uh, swing his big credentials around, as it were, and he pu- he pulls the, you know, former Herald of Galactus card on the aliens, who introduce themselves, he introduces himself as, I am Captain Galactu of the planet Erganar. We have no quarrel with you, Herald. He, he is the pop-up even we want. He's be he executed. is to be executed. Um, and then the pop-up, the, the pop-upian in question turns into the yellow kid. With the shirt saying, I got them old cosmic blues again. And like just the wide ranging, like we're getting Forbish Man. We're getting Obnoxio the Clown. We're getting the yellow kid. We're getting Sam Kinison. Like I dig this level of crap. <laughs> yeah, I'm really hoping that this was Valentino and Ron Lim plotting this together to going, ooh, ooh, and then we have him be this. And so that way it wasn't just one person saying, draw this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, I could draw the yellow kid. Oh, I know how we can do that and work that in. So you know? the uh, the surfer declines to turn over the pop up in and he gets um, they they unload 
on him. And I like that. Now, here's my question. Because they unload on the surfer. The impossible man hotfoots it away from that particular low point in space uh, in the form of a rocket with a rocket exhaust jet propulsion going behind him. What I want to know is, biologically speaking, what is that? What exactly is he doing there? Uh, he, in an untold story, he met with the Hulk before, and the Hulk cooked for him. And what does the Hulk like to cook? Uh, Beans. Ah. All right. All right. It just, I was, I, I was like legit thinking, okay, he turned himself into form of a rocket, but, hmm. Just because you shape yourself like a rocket doesn't mean you are a rocket, Impy. Yeah, no one told him that. So once the barrage of is over. <laughs> Armada fire ends, the uh, surfer is there smoldering, but generally just looking kind of pissed off. He hasn't changed. He's still standing there with his arms crossed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the captain realizes this might have been a mistake. Yeah, and he, he did the sweating oops, like fingers under the collar deal. It's all, like I said, it's not just the writing, the art. There's a lot of little things going on in the issue, too, besides the pop-up being changing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the Silver yeah. Surfer is deciding to disarm them without hurt, you know, hurting anybody. So he because, unleashes, what is the, what is it? I'm trying to remember, the power cosmic, is that what he calls yes. it? Yes, that's what he has. So he's blasting all the guns. And here's the part we were talking about before, when the he turns into basically a Jedi Knight. Yes. Saying, oh, wow, this is great. A real dogfight in space. I haven't had this much fun since the scavenger hunt, which is X-Men Annual 7. Because remember, X-Men Annual 7 was also a pup uh, Impossible Man issue. Yes. Where he was involved in a scavenger hunt collecting different things. Yes. The New Mutants Annual is the one where him and Warlock have the competition of who can change the best. Yeah. Yep. Which was fantastic. It bothers bothers the, the copy editor inside me that scavenger is misspelled. In this panel, but what are you going to (laughs) do? You know, they've had 31 years to fix it, guys. Come on. Well, you know, when you're editing stuff in your underwear, maybe you're not paying too much attention. This is a fair fair assessment. A fair assessment, my friend. So then he pops into uh, uh, the form of Rocket Raccoon. Which I'm assuming is another incident where maybe they had to change it, the original plan. Yep. Because he's singing Mighty Mouse. Yes. Uh, I need to find that clip right now of, uh, what's his name? The um, comedian. Mm-hmm. Uh, Man on the Moon. Oh, uh, Adam Kaufman. Andy Kaufman, yes. Andy Kaufman. Andy yes. Kaufman. Here I come to save the day. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, uh, yeah, which of this distracts the surfer. Uh, the surfer turns his head and gets blasted again. Well, of course, because anytime the Impossible Man is going to help you, that's usually a problem. Yes, you don't. Stop helping. Stop helping. Yeah. The only thing worse than the Impossible Man bothering you, being a pain, is the Impossible Man helping you. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> yeah, you don't want him being nice to you. That can be really, that can end up being really painful. But he gets what, upset by the surfer getting blasted. He turns into Dark Phoenix. Into Dark Phoenix. And I love that he take like, one of the idiot aliens is taken in by this. Captain, it's Dark Phoenix, the world destroyer. No. <laughs> No, you fool. It's the pop-up Ian. It's like he's the only sane man there. Blast him out of the sky. Yes, sir. <laughs> and then he turns into Mr. Fantastic, completely appropriate. Yes. Uh, missed me. You missed me. Ha ha. Blah, 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 blah. And yeah. the surfer just grabs him and throws him, yanks him away. He's like, would you get out of here while I deal with this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I like I like the, the surfer's onto something here, though. Clearly, he is insane. He has no power save to alter his form, yet he goads them into firing upon him. Perhaps he has a death wish. <laughs> like, trying to figure out this behavior is is a problem. Yes, you can't figure it out. Well, basically, the impossible man, and this kind of goes what I said before when you when I said, when you were asking about the rocket thing, I said, don't tell him he can't do that. Mm-hmm. He's basically a cartoon character. Mm-hmm. So think about it. Wiley Cody is can run off the cliff until he looks down. Right. Then he falls because once he knows he can't be standing there, then he knows to pull out the yike sign. <laughs> and, and he still has time. He still has time to to demonstrate the yikesihood, yikesness, yikesitude before fall, starting to fall. Yeah. 
So Surfer yanks him away as he turns into Curly from the Three Stooges. Yep, I'll myrtleate them. And then we get a nice little full-page spread of the Surfer just flying all over, blasting the guns on all the, arma- the ships of this armada. Mm-hmm, all of them. He says, there, that's the last of them. So he got all of the, uh, he disabled all of the weapons. Yeah, because that's the Silver Surfer, so that makes sense. I mean, the, uh, he, the nice thing about this is, even though it's a humorous issue, the Surfer is still in character. Oh, They're absolutely. Not taking him out. He's, you know, he doesn't want to protect the Impossible Man because of anything bizarre. It's, we want to execute him. Well, I'm not for that, so therefore I have a problem with that. I would do this for pretty much anybody. Mm-hmm. Granted, he might change his stance next issue when he meets a new person. Mm-hmm. But up until now, at least, he would say that for pretty much anybody. He's like, you know, I'm not for executing anybody. Right, right. You know, let's discuss this and reason this and find a better way to deal with it than murder. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't he hurt them either. Yeah, and so he, he, he disables, and he, he says, I ask you for peace. Will you accept? And yeah, they do accept, but it's not like good like it's not like yes we have seen the he's like what choice have i you have disabled my fleet and brought shame and dishonor to me and my family for generations hence i will return home in disgrace well well, to be fair that is your own fault for firing on a herald of the galactus well yes but you know again we still have the root cause of whatever the impossible man did to the queen that might have been a completely appropriate response. I'm not sure I have enough information to pass judgment on their actions at this particular stage. We've been kept in the dark about the true nature of the Popupians' transgressions against the Erdogans. Yeah, although I do like that panel when he's saying, "I what choice have I? As you see his three minions in the background running around with fire extinguishers. Like, and just like screaming and like being chaotic and basically being useless. <laughs> so the the surfer, big hearted yes. schlub that he is, um, he he offers to go and apologize uh, to to uh, to basically testify to the monarch on behalf of the captain and apologize for the impossible man. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, completely in character for the surfer. Mm-hmm. Although the impossible man is, of course, enjoying this way too much. Oh, my God. And in any event, you have my word that he will never visit your world again. He won't? No, he won't. (laughs) No, no, of course he won't. I was just going to say that. As he's turned into the villain Madcap. Yes. Yeah, another nice one. Possible Man had a lot of fun of time on Earth. Yeah. And you, Impossible Man, what have you to say for yourself in light of this whole sorry affair? And here's the call back to New Mutants Annual number three, because he turns into Warlock. Yeah, this was great. Let's do it again. <laughs> Love it. And then he turns into Lockheed. Yes. As the surfer yells at him, basically yep. like a child, which is what he called, realizes in a minute. It's like, don't you realize how dangerous this was? You could have got yourself killed or somebody else. And he turns into Franklin. Yeah. Yeah. Right down with the four and a half shirt on, like kind of kicking his feet a little bit in the dirt. Like, I, I didn't know. I'm sorry. Mm hmm. Child, he said, like, even the, the surfer understands what he's dealing with. And this I like because he says, look at me trying to reason with a child. And who does the impossible man turn into? But Pee Wee Herman, the ultimate man child. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you're no fun. <laughs> and the and the surfer like loses it for like two sentences and then he's oh what's the use yeah <laughs> he just leaves he's like stay away from that planet and stay away from me i like this though <laughs> you'll never learn you really are impossible and it's like who yes he is impossible that's a good good way of pointing out that his name has that has that meaning haha <laughs> And so now poor Impossible Man's left alone trying to figure out where to go. He's like, Creelar? Nope, they don't have a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, there's a gun in his face. You shall go nowhere, Pupupian. And it's that captain. He came back to kill him. Yes. And the silver, and the not the silver, the Impossible Man has an absolutely Looney Tunes reaction. Tongue out, eyeballs popping out of the sockets, feet flat as like, uh, actually, no, no, I take it back. This is not a Looney Tunes reaction. This is a Don Martin in Mad Magazine reaction. Mm. Yes. 
Uh huh. Yes, he has himself perfect. a Don Martin moment, and that has got to. Uh, that's a deliberate thing too. This entire thing has been a giant love letter to cartoon and animation culture. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, the captain says, "There is no one here to protect you now." And then as he possibly and runs away like a chicken, as a literally chicken. as a chicken. As a chicken, like a chicken, as a chicken. All of a sudden we hear, well, you should see the look on your face. After all, it's only me. And apparently the surfer uses cosmic power to disguise himself. As the uh, Argonar captain. And the the, the impossible man like gets angry and turns into Wolverine. (laughs) (laughs) That was mean. As are all practical jokes. Impossible man. Now you know how it feels. And now hopefully he's hoping to teach him a lesson that mm-hmm. way. And he goes, I'm, we have our the more you know uh, yes. moment as the, as the star crosses the screen. I knew it wasn't impossible to teach you a lesson. You'll be happier for this, I promise. You're probably going to need a new name for yourself now. Take as care, my see- no longer impossible friend. <laughs> And as we see from the back, the Impossible Man has his fingers crossed behind his back. And he blows a big old raspberry at the at the uh, <laughs> surfing away surfer. Uh, never change, Impossible Man. Never change. And he yeah, never it, will, because as it says here at the bottom of the... We even get a... You can tell. If this was animated, the circle that his blowing a raspberry is in would be closing. Yep. And it says, never quite the end. No, Impossible Man stories can go one of two ways. They're either tedious or funny. Yes. And yes. And I, feared, the I feared the former and I got the latter. And that's always a, it's always good to be pleasantly surprised in that way. And that's one of the reasons I have to think that for a good Impossible Man, and that's why I'm thinking they did this, you have to have the creative team work together on it and figure out how they're going to do this. So mm-hmm. the comments and the pop, and the popping work together. Yeah, no, they had to be they had to be collaborating on a deep like this wasn't entirely this wasn't a complete script handed to Ron Lim by Jim Valentino. No, 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 sir. Like I said, early on, when you know, when he's doing that pop changing every panel and the surfer's talking to him, he's right there. As soon as the surfer says something, magician, boom, Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Cheer up. I'm and he turns into Obnoxio the Clown. Mm-hmm. And the surfer flies off thinking he's done some he's made a change. And for the, no, you haven't. Yeah, no, you haven't. There is no good to be done with the impossible man. He has not uh, learned a thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, impossible indeed. But a fun, a fun little, uh, a fun little palate cleanser of a story, nonetheless. Yes. Yes. No, this was this was amusing. Uh, I, I had a good time. Thank you for uh, I didn't even know this issue existed. Um, as of right now, I am I am woefully um underinformed regarding well early 90s comics in general late 80s like anything between i'd say like 89 and 97 that wasn't x-men um yes i'm pretty i'm pretty clueless about even at this late date so i had no idea that this issue even existed and then you asked me to do it and boy am i glad you did because that was a fun one yeah this was amusing Definitely more along the lines of a New Mutants Annual Three than yes. some of the some of the more frustrating Impossible Man stories of of in in Marvel history. Definitely a good pseudo crossover, which makes sense because he's a pseudo villain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he's more of an antagonist, or uh, well, pain in the ass, actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, you know, they can say the Silver Surfer is involved now, sort of. Kind he doesn't. Of, he doesn't maybe. have that edge of uh, edge of malice that Mister Mixelpitalik has. Like Mister yeah. Mixelpitalik can get downright like malicious and rotten and and um, harmful when you know the whim strikes him. Whereas you know the Impossible Man is just mischievous and irresponsible. He's a more irresponsible Bugs Bunny. He's just yeah yeah. yeah. Bugs is not actually trying to hurt Elmer Fudd. He's just having fun with him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. You know, he, he, he's not trying to do anything har- permanently harmful in anybody. It might happen, but he's not trying to. I could see right. that. I could see that. Yeah. So, like I said, it's the best way to think of the Impossible Man, I think. He's a living, car- he's a living cartoon character. He really, really is. 
So, and better in small doses. You don't need them. Exactly. Yeah, there does not need to be a six-part Impossible Man story ever. No, no, we don't need a series. Um, I look forward to my next, uh, uh, the consumption of my next Impossible Man story four or five years from now. Yes. (laughs) He's going small doses. Just bring it back occasionally. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, it was good. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am still kind of a bad geek. Not a fan of anime, never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I ventured a little further into the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I've even managed to watch a little Doctor Who. I've also managed to not watch a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. Back in 2007, I started a podcast called Views from the Long Box to deal with this borderline personality disorder. Every week or so, I pick a particular comic or issue or character or whatever to talk about them and then... Well, I, I talk about them. It's kind of what a podcast is. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I'm joined by my semi-regular co-host, the Irredeemable Shag, or Thomas DJ, and the permanent semi-regular co-host, Andrew Leyland, and sometimes another friend from the podcasting and comic book world stops by to chat. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, where you can find old episodes and show notes and links to my other internet endeavors. You can also find the show on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter under the handle at Bailey's Podcasts. Views from the Long Box, a podcast about comic books or a desperate cry for help. You decide every Tuesday or so at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Okay, before we get to the end of the episode, let's cover the feedback. And this time we are talking about feedback from episode 128, a low bar for Star-Lord. It was the second episode in our Infinity Wars coverage. And in this episode, my brother Joe and I were talking about Infinity Wars number two and three. Now on Facebook, the post about that episode was liked and shared by, yes, this time we can actually see who it was, Clinton Robinson, Derek William Crabb, Chris Armstrong, Ian Derek Mills, Christopher Flood, Justin Cobble, Coffee and Comics, Roof Sutherland, Paul Spataro, Darren Sutherland, Gene Hendricks, Michael Lane, and Hal Jordan. On Twitter, we got likes and retweets from Your Ugly Nerdy Friend 88, David Finn, Last Sun's Krypton, Chris Lydon, Adeline Rising Podcast, Connor McKenna, Capes and Lunatics, Viet Huynh, Toys and Sometimes Jokes, Into the Night, Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante Podcast, HOCOF, which stands for History of Comics on Film, The Hammer Strikes, Geeky Stuff and Hashtag VoiceOver, Marvel Universe Online, Tim Price, the Podcrasher, and Jeffrey Brown, parentheses, they slash them. Now, of course, as you know, if you've been listening to all the other episodes, you can also find me every week over on the L-E-G-I-O-N P-O-D cast. You can find that on the Legion Substitute Podcasters feed. And in that show, we talk about the late 80s, early 90s DC sci-fi series, L-E-G-I-O-N. I also did a guest spot this past week on the podcast that goes Snick, episode 432. Host Jason Venable and I talked about some early 1993 appearances of Wolverine in Secret Defenders, numbers 1 to 3, and Fantastic Four, 374, and sort of in 375. Links for all that is in the show notes. Now, as you may have guessed from the content of this episode, this episode is part of the Mary Marvel Marching Society crossover for 2021, in which all the podcasts that are participating were talking about Acts of Vengeance. And if you want to listen to other shows talking about that, you should check out Third Degree Burn, Back to the Bins, Avengers Spotlight, Coffee and Comics, Comic Book Time Machine, Doom Speak, Van Holes Podcast, Fire and Water Podcast Presents, Head Speaks, Into the Weird, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast, The Longbox Crusade, Married with Comics, The Quantum Cast, 
Rolled Spine podcasts, and views from the long box. In fact, if you check the show notes, there will be links to whatever episodes that are part of the crossover that have been out since, well, our last episode. So make it very easy for you to just go click and listen. All right, so before we get to the end of the feedback, I just want to mention one thing that I made a mistake last episode. Last time, John Wilson and Michael Kaiser and I, when talking about the Thor issues that introduced the new warriors, we talked a bit about Dwayne McDuffie. And in the show notes, I included a link to a, a documentary that was about Dwayne McDuffie. I just forgot to mention that in the show. So if you go to YouTube, there is a documentary about Dwayne McDuffie. It's called Dwayne McDuffie, Larger Than Life. It's on the Watchtower database page. It is an excellent documentary. I watched it, and it is great. I really recommend it. Okay, so links will be again in the show notes, but this time, you know why. All right, so you want to hear your name said here, or you just want to help the show? Well, go to our Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com, and follow it. Go like and follow our page on Facebook. Just in Facebook, just type Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box, and it'll pop up. Follow us on Twitter, at AdamThanosPod. You can also talk to us about comics that are even not Marvel Cosmic. We'll talk about all of them. I like a lot of comics. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I will read that review. Trust me, I promise. It would be awesome to get another one. And, of course, you can always send an email. Resurrectionspodcast on, at yahoo.com. Now, finally, or finally, finally, I'm not sure how many finally they've already said, this show is part of The Collective. The Collective is a group of podcasters that have decided to get together and network in the most traditional sense promoting each other's shows, helping each other out with ideas, things like that. In fact, we are about to play a promo for one of the collective shows right now. Hey there, everyone. I'd like to tell you about the YouTube channel I Am Your Target Demographic. If you're a fan of comics, we have plenty that you'll enjoy over there, including a series called Heroes Like Us that explores comic characters of all sorts of different identities. And we even have a series that defines words that are used in nerd culture that you may not know what they mean. So you can check us out by heading to YouTube and searching I Am Your Target Demographic or look up IAYTD on any social media outlet. All right, well, that's it for this time. Brian, anything you want to tell people about? Anything that you're interested in? That you, I mean, I know you don't have anything else podcast-wise <laughs> yes, going on, but I, anything else you, you're, interested, you're digging right now that you want people to check out? Yes, yes. As always, I always have uh, the pop culture recommendations here, um, if nothing else. And as uh, listeners of the uh, podcast uh, will know, I'm a big anime fan. Uh, love me some anime. And um, if you're in the mood for something uh, really d- genuinely funny and sweet, nothing challenging, nothing dark or um, troubling in any way, shape or form. Um, I can very highly recommend a, a romantic comedy anime that I've just discovered uh, entitled it's from 2015. So it's not new. So, it's, you know, you can find it and consume it completely easily. It's called My Love Story. It's a romantic comedy about a very, very large high school student. He's huge and he's he's not he's he's not pretty. And his best friend is extremely hot. So all the girls that this guy's ever liked have only had eyes for his friend. And then one day he saves a cute uh, girl from a groper on a train and he instantly falls in love with her. And unbeknownst to him, she falls in love with him too. But of course he immediately assumes she's in love with his friend. Like all the girls are and being a really good guy, he commits himself to uh, helping their romance along. Hmm. And shenanigans ensue. Of and I was clued into the existence of this series by my favorite uh, tweet by my uh, by my current favorite comic book creator, Stefan Shaich of uh, Sunstone and Death Vigil fame. Um, and he described it as a romantic comedy with a heart as big as its protagonist. And that is one of the most accurate descriptions of a, a story I have ever encountered in my life. He is spot on about that. It is all heart. It is frequently very, very funny, and it's just sweet as hell. And in a world, in a world <laughs> that is as frequently dark and noisy and nasty as the one we live in, our listeners could do a lot worse than uh, balm their minds with uh, the lovely My Love Story anime. 
from 2015. All right. Well, I'll find so that's out. That's my thank you. That's my that's my uh, pop culture recommendation for this episode. All right, and don't forget to check out the other podcasts that are doing the Acts of Vengeance crossover. Um, I will most likely have mentioned them when we do the when I did the feedback. So I'll be putting some links in the show notes for those as well. Go check the rest of them out and see what else was happening late '89, early '90 at Marvel. Mm-hmm. See who else fought who because I don't know who was fighting the Avengers, for instance. It's hard to keep track of. Apparently, there was a lot of uh, shuffling. Yeah. All right. We'll be back next time. We'll be getting back to our regular Infinity Wars coverage. Indeed. And, and we'll Looking see you Looking forward then. to it. Bye. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Thank you. That was fun. That was this fun. is a fun issue. I it was it was like I I meant it I meant it like that's the the one of the best things about this podcast is getting me to read really good stuff that I probably would not have gotten around to reading on my own. I mean that started with the Avengers Defenders War way back when. Oh, but, that was um, fun. That was fun. But I probably would never have gotten around to reading that on my own. You know, or if I did, it would have been like a long time from now. So that's the best part about doing this podcast. So thank you, as always, for that a side well, effect of all of this. Half the time, that's for me, too. It's like, oh, this thing's there? Well, <laughs> let me check it out. Let me see if this is anything worth doing. Like, oh, okay, this is good. This, this works. We'll do this. This works. <laughs>